0: Any time that we would read God's word and see Christ in the Scripture, and I trust that it's been a blessing. But you know, today we continue with verse eleven, and it's the things that God the Father has spoken to the Son, and these are things that have been spoken to no one else except for Jesus Christ. There are several books of the Bible, and uh, especially when we spent so much time in the book of John that I really enjoyed and was such a blessing, but I'll, I'll be honest that it, it, it pales in comparison into what I myself have learned in these uh, studies through this first chapter of the Hebrews. It's, it's amazing what God has to say about Jesus Christ, that God himself would place so much emphasis and, and relate to his people how much christ is deserving of worship that it seems almost infathomable that people would deny the deity of christ that they would deny his divine nature and place so little emphasis even on his human nature uh, but i trust that as you continue that you'll see the things that i see in scripture and i pray that the lord will reveal these things to you just how wonderful jesus christ is and just how marvelous his gospel is but we'll start with verse 11 and of course that's all we'll have time to get through today it says they will perish but you remain and they all will become old like a garment your translation may say wax old but they will perish But you remain, they become old like a garment. This is a quotation from Psalm chapter 102, verses 26. It says, Even they will perish, but you endure, and all of them will wear out like a garment, like clothing. You will change them, and they will be changed. Now, sometimes when we read a quote, I just want to give this little caveat into the text. When we read a quote in the New Testament, sometimes we go, well, that's not exactly what was said in the Old Testament. It doesn't seem to be word for word because that's how we like to think of quotes. But I'll remind you that the, the two would come by different languages. One in the Hebrew, and then later we have the Greek, the Aramaic, uh, and the Septuagint that we get these things from and oftentimes people and I'll say this because it's it's needful in a conversation people will attack the scriptures based on the difference between the old and new testament or b- between the translation but I'll say to you this that's what's wonderful about the bible the scriptures prove themselves because when we on one hand take the largest other religion which would be the muslims and they and they have the quran The transmission of the text was highly regulated and so when when you look at that even though there are some changes we see that it's word for word the exact the same for most part but what people fail to realize when they attack the Bible is that Jesus had a command to go therefore into all nations and in every tongue proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ Therefore, when we move from the Old Testament to the New Testament, we have a quote and it seems that it may not be word for word. That's a truth, a reality that Jesus Christ's disciples did as they were willed by God to do, that they would go forth in every tongue and give forth the gospel. The gospel is not the letters of the text appropriated in the same fashion But it's the message of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. When we have the different text, it just proves to us that the message did go out to the Jews. And that because of the great grace of God, the message also went out to the Gentiles. And that that same gospel is effectual to both peoples. And I just want to remind you of that as we see that. But the text says that they will perish. And in the Old Testament, Psalm 102, even they will perish. Well, what is it speaking about? We would have to remind ourselves of what we read last week. Up until today, we have arrived at verse 11. We've examined the wonderful truths of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Son of David, born of the Virgin Mary. And being that this is according to to his nature as both man and god this defining of christ son of god son of david son of mary conceived by the holy spirit we see this acute finite representation of who jesus is in both natures and then as we come to the text Uh, more importantly from verse 5 up until where we've arrived today we see that god is speaking and we see an intimate conversation as as we have spoken about before between both the father and the son whereas in the father declares the majesty of the son he declares the kingdom of the son he declares the authority and the reign of the son over all of creation whereby we gather this information and define the Christ that we serve so that we not be as those that Paul speaks about having a false gospel and a false Jesus that we see in the other gospels. We don't want to be carried away by another Jesus, but we let the things that God says about His own Son define for us the Messiah, of Jesus Christ. Whereby also we know that He is the Creator Of all of these things. So when we see it. They will perish. We know that he's speaking about. What was stated in verse 10. You Lord in the beginning. Laid the foundation of the earth. And the heavens are the works of your hands. So speaking of the the foundation of the earth. And the heavens. The father declares that these things will perish. We know that. He has created them in verse 10, but we see that they are not eternal things, but they'll perish. At which point we began with verse 4, understanding this supremacy of, God, uh, of Christ as God the Father speaks of his qualities, of his attributes, of his accomplishments, of his works, of his authority. And these are things that only belong to Jesus Christ as he is the son of God. More importantly, these things can only be attributed to Christ if he is deity himself, if he is in fact eternal, because the beginning was the creation of the earth and he was before the beginning. Therefore, we see the eternal nature of Christ, that he is divine. And that is monument in understanding the Christ that we serve. For we have not the Christ of the Jehovah's Witnesses, nor do we have the Christ of Roman Catholicism or the Christ of Mormonism, but we have the Christ of the Bible. Christ who is the living word. And God has thus spoken, and the sum of all that he has spoken is the righteousness of this man, this God, Jesus. And in it we may discover the detestable degree to which all other human wickedness has mocked and hated God, not only in the form of Christ, but because they have hated Christ, they have hated God in all of His persons, being the Father and the Spirit, while at the same time, understanding these things, we receive revelation of the saving power of the only name given under heaven among men by which we may be saved by whom we might find salvation according to Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And this is Jesus. Only Christ is able to satisfy the debt to our sin. Only his death may pardon sinful man. Only his shed blood may reconcile man to God. And we get that all over the text. All in the New Testament. And that if man is to find rest, he may only come to one, and it's Christ. And coming to him, we may find not only rest, but comfort. We may find true joy. We may find true salvation. We may find true holiness, true righteousness, true justification. And it's only by Christ. So thus far, we have seen that Christ fulfills from those verses, Uh, Even from the first verse to the fourth verse, we see it hidden, Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And then it's revealed from 5 to 10 again, Christ, prophet, priest, and king. And now we see this again, this same model. Verses 2 and 3, and then 4, and then reaffirmed again, prophet, priest, and king, verse 5, and then 6 and 7, and then 8. And then we get to verse 11, and it says, they will perish the earth and the heavens in the proper context we would understand that this is speaking of the earth and the heavens from verse 10 as we mentioned this perishing reference is taken from the psalms prayer of the afflicted as the afflicted is faint and he pours out his complaint. Before the Lord, the psalmist declares the cessation of the foundation laid by one who is Jesus Christ. Going back there to Psalm 102. So we have the psalmist claiming the cessation of the foundation of earth that was laid by namely Christ Jesus the Messiah. Not only shall his earth as it is known cease, but likewise shall also its heavens I may get ahead of myself, but it's important that we notice a distinction and some translations simply miss it, but oftentimes we see heavens uh, as it's written on the pages and transliterated into our language, sometimes singular, sometimes plural. Most of the time in the plural, heavens is talking about what is visibly seen by man because we know that heaven is a place. But the heavens being that uh, area of the firmament, firmament which we often speak of which is able to be seen which is part of creation and so we make that distinction so that we're we're able to to recognize in the context of this particular text but we're looking at the heavens in its plural form being that which is seen and able to be seen by the human eye we have the heavens and the earth's uh, and the earth as it is written whose current Form shall perish, shall be destroyed. That's what it's saying. They will perish. We should not be so bold as to declare that they shall be replaced. Some people will say that, that the, the heavens and earth shall be destroyed. We're talking about total annihilation and they must be reformed. But that's not exactly what the text is saying. You have to dig deep to understand because if you take that particular uh, viewpoint There will be some error. There will be some contradictions. So we shouldn't be so bold to declare replacement, but rather that their fallen nature shall be consumed and that they be formed again new. Where some would say that, in fact, they believe that it would be totally destroyed and annihilated. And that's the true meaning. But we have a great case to destroy that idea. If you've ever read that and thought about it, thought the earth will just disappear and a new earth uh, shall be created out of nothing. I I think that there'll be a a monumental text here to describe that. Uh, Let's read 2 Peter chapter 3 and apply it to this text. 2 Peter chapter 3. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. I'm going to come back to that verse. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow or slack to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance." Because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I bring that up so that we have this particular view of this perishing, as it says, the heavens and the earth and the earth are the work of your hands, but they will perish. That we be reminded of the flood. It says, back in verse 5, For they deliberately overlooked the fact that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water, and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these, the world that had existed was deluged and with water perished. In Noah's day, as his family is spared, and all of other humankind and all of the animals not on the ark were destroyed, the earth was considered perished. It was considered totally destroyed. And here we even have the same words used in the text. And so I say that to remind you that after the floodwaters recessed, the earth didn't cease to exist, but rather that which had caused the destruction of the earth, sinful man, wickedness, those things that were fallen by nature, those things were destroyed. Not the very essence of earth, but those things which caused the decay of the earth. Those things which caused the fall. And so, as we read that, it gives us this particular perspective that the destruction of the earth, uh, the dissolving, as it says in some uh, particular translations, is not that the earth itself will just disappear. It's that those things which cause the the demise of the earth, the fall of the earth, those sinful things will be kindled with fire. Notice that this is said in in verses 5 and 6. This term perish. It includes the earth's life and the people's, more importantly, who were not saved. But the point is that perishing doesn't determine the replacement of earth. We don't see a replacement of earth. And that's not at all uh, coherent when we think about it in relation to the gospel. We don't see replacement. We don't see that God just takes James and strikes him down and forms a whole new man, but rather the gospel proclaims that he makes him new. There we have a new creature, a new body, just like it describes a new earth. It looks the same on the outside to some degree but on the inside it's made new again a new creature as we see in Corinthians and so we understand this and I I bring you back to the flood and the day of Noah to see that the same things were said but we know that the earth wasn't just the ark wasn't floating in the heavens and then a new earth form and, and all of that but rather it was recreated in a sense reformed in a different fashion And we see this with broken men, unrighteous men. Of course, a new covenant would have to be made in Christ. We see that. That's where a lot of people draw their distinctions between the two testaments. That the new covenant in Christ's blood, of course, is that which is preeminent, that which is a covenant that can have no predecessor that is better, nor can it have one after it that is better. It is the supreme covenant in Christ's blood. For the first were temporal covenant, and man could not and would not live up to this, at least not on his end. Therefore now, as we consider the text today, we shall seek to understand that the perishing of the heavens and earth from Hebrews chapter 1, verse 11 comes not from the perspective of destruction as we think of it in human terms, but we need to think of it from a Christocentric, a Christ-centered gospel perspective. That they shall perish. And Second Peter describes this day of the Lord. As this kingdom is also described here in Hebrews chapter twelve. For you have not come. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem and to the innumerable angels in festal gatherings and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven and to God, the judge of all and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect and Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. you see that? Speaking of things that are shaken and things that are unshaken. When we consider that, that these things will perish, the earth and the heavens, it's talking about those things whose eternal value is zero those who have spat upon God, those things which are temporal, animals, beasts, trees, and such as that. But then again we see that it's speaking of those who are eternal, things that can't be shaken. And it says, Let us offer worship to God. This is a key text to reveal to us what is being said in Hebrews chapter 1. For we see a shaking of the heavens and the earth. It's been done before, the text says. Shall it be done again? A great removal, not a replacement, but a rebirth. This is the gospel in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 11. A rebirth that this, these things corrupted by sinful flesh, shall by the flesh which is God, who is Christ Jesus, be restored. A reconciliation purchased by blood. Shall we not consider that a bruised reed he will not break? That in the day that the earth and all of its inhabitants were cursed. God declared death, but in Him was a Son whose provision shall make the corruptible incorruptible and the finite infinite. That's the message of the Gospel. The message is that the foundation of the earth and the heavens will perish. They'll be born again. Not in the spiritual manner that a human being shall be, but complete perfectness. The truth that Jesus Christ takes what is corrupted and makes new and perfect what only he can do as creator God. We also consider that man's days were numbered. Likewise, we see that with the earth and the heavens. But with God and Christ They shall be made eternal, just as Christ is eternal, the one who is saving. This is the promise that we as Christians have uh, from everlasting life, the guarantee that we have in Christ. So we ask, should the heavens and earth perish in the way that our minds tend to think? Shall they cease to exist? Shall they perish because the gospel proclaims that wickedness and unrighteousness shall not stand in his presence? It's very interesting because I ask myself will Tim stand in the presence of God the truth is that I'm unrighteous I've been wicked and for all of us here that same testimony bears true but yet we may remain because God causes our old man to perish just as so will be this earth and the heavens as we know it Thereby we may conclude that the fallen creation shall suffer destruction as God has so declared. But born again shall all things be as those who are in Christ must be if they are to remain. And move from the category of those perishing to those being saved. As in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 18. The message of Christ being foolishness. The gospel being foolishness. To those who are perishing. But altogether different. For those who are being saved. For he is the way. The truth. The life. He is the vine. He is the great shepherd. The truth is that. Even the earth and the heavens. May not remain. Unless they too. Be reborn by the creator. Power of Jesus Christ. They must be formed. And newness of life. Revelation chapter 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for a husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he will dwell among them and he shall be his people. They shall be his people. And God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And there will no longer be any death. There will be no longer any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne, behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Right, for these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters... And all liars, there will be their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Then one of the same seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plays came and spoke with me, saying, Come here, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. Then Revelation chapter 20, verse 11, Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away. And no place was found for them. So soon again, here we're reminded of Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And that this current form of the earth and heaven may not stand because it is unrighteous. It is blemished. And it may not stand before God. So it stands in need of Christ's work. And immediately it's talking about these things that are created and are not living. But to us, we have to look and say, what does this mean to me as a Christian? It's the truth of the gospel that we, like the earth and the heavens, are dead. We stand in need to be formed again, to be born again anew by Christ and His shed blood on the cross. We see that Christ is this prophet, priest, and king. He is a king who proclaimed whilst on earth that a new kingdom was coming. And He shed His own blood for the remission of our sins so that as King He would protect His kingdom and do only what is good for her. This is why fire consumes those things that are compromised. And it refines those who are living. So much is true of man. and Thus may also it be in the place of man's inhabitants. This earth. Even in its groanings. As Romans 8.22 says. The earth has served its purpose. That by the grace of God. She has yielded her seed. And meat to feed man. In his fallen human state. Cursed. Because it has soaked up the blood of Christ. And because man. Everything that he puts his hand to. Has he tainted. Lest it be accounted righteousness by God. And that also He may drink according to the flesh, earth's purpose. And she would give water and give this breath of air that was needed. And so of these things found in the earth's composition. But that was the created purpose. But with the second coming also comes a judgment of wickedness and unregenerate man. His place no more on earth but in eternity. Loving darkness, no longer will He need the sun, the moon, and stars whose light is in the heavens, as it's described here in verse 10. For we know that they will suffer an eternity in hell. And we no longer have this same need for the earth and the heavens. And we know for those who perish not, Being the regenerate, being those who trust in Christ, those who are not perishing, but those who are living, those who are being saved, as the text says, there is a greater light. No longer do we need the light of the heavens, but we need the light of the world, the light of heaven, the light which is Christ, Christ the Almighty jesus the i am you see Christ's second coming announces excuse me announces an end to unrighteousness an end to decaying both in man both in earth and in the heavens that were created an end to those things that are temporal it's the gospel message That as Christ's second second coming is at hand, the moment that He comes, that the earth and the heavens will be dissolved or that they will perish, it means the same thing for the heavens and the earth that it does for us. That this second coming announces an end to the temporal and for the temporal purposes. And as we saw in 2 Peter chapter 3, the earth and heavens dissolved but not in the sense that we think of them not that they are gone forever but that the form is made new Uh, i have an illustration when we consider dissolved our first thought if if you're anything like me i think it's just going to be gone but then i'm reminded if we have a powder say gatorade and you put the powder into the water and you stir it up it dissolves The powder isn't just gone. You can't see it anymore. But the substance is still there. It's taking on a new form. Likewise, as a medicine dissolves in the mouth, but it isn't gone, although it appears to be. It's entered the body in a new form. Likewise, the form of earth shall be dissolved, and so shall the heavens, but they shall take upon them a new glorified form. As is the purpose of Christ's second coming. To redeem those who belong to him. And to give glorified bodies to those who will be raised like he is raised. For we know that a kingdom has already been decreed. A kingdom has already been established. Though it is yet to, to be seen on earth it shall be. And then the text says but you remain. Remain. How glorious. Christ remains. This is the truth of the new heaven and the new earth. The truth of regeneration. That as we're crucified with Christ. Here's the gospel. That the old man remains not. But only Christ remains. Isn't that the gospel? Nothing remains except Christ. The king and his kingdom. Not a fallen failing kingdom. As the earth appears to be now but a kingdom that is like her king eternal he remains he is and was and is to come he dwells even now in us as we have these earthly bodily temples that are temples of the living god so that the gospel may continue to go forth until the second coming that He may be glorified. That He may be exalted. And that he may be magnified. And that not only this meeting today, but someone tomorrow, as the numbers be increased until Christ return, they will continue to exalt Jesus Christ and praise Him. For that's the purpose. That He may be exalted. That He may be reverenced as He so deserves. The remaining one that is spoken of in verse 11 is that I am. The God that appeared to Moses. The God that appeared to Abraham. The deity represented in his attribute of immutability. His attribute of never changing. Proof that Jesus Christ himself is God reigning currently on His throne? Also, His remaining is showing that He has never left. He has never ceased. He has never forsaken those to whom the gospel has been effective. That's you and I. He's never ceased to exist. He's never ceased to abide. For Christ is remaining Consider Lamentations chapter 5, verse 19. You, O Lord, rule forever. Your throne is from generation to generation. And so we see this earth as we know it in the heavens being reformed at the second coming of Christ. And that He, God the Father, speaking to the Son and of the Son, says, but you remain, speaking to the eternal nature of the divine Christ. And then it says, and they all will become old like a garment. They shall wax old as doth a garment. This is relating this garment metaphorically to show the corruptibility of the heavens and the earth. Notice, I thought about it. And there are some exceptions, of course. But if we were to take And consider some of the things that we have. Some antiquities that we have. Especially in the U.S. Of battlefield memorabilia. And these important people. We have these garments, right? That are hundreds of years old. And I got some blue jeans that won't make it past five. You know what it is? It's the truth of the matter is that. In the proper environment. The garment would last a pretty good while, right? But the truth is that the flesh corrupts it. The flesh causes it to decay. Everything that we put our hand to fails. Similarly, I think of the garden as they had sewn the fig leaves together. It was a garment that would fail. And so what does God do? He provides these skins of animals that was a far superior garment that would cover their nakedness, That would last longer. But as we know there had to be another sacrifice. And it had to be Jesus Christ. A garment that we put on that is incorruptible. That the worst sin of human nature cannot overpower the gospel of Jesus Christ. We can't overpower the righteousness of Christ. It can't be overthrown. And so we see that there's an antiquation made of this garment that becomes old. It's the truth that the heavens and the earth also. Would decay because of the sinfulness of man. Because of his fallen state. And the longer that we wear it. The worse it becomes. The longer that we walk upon it. The longer that sin dwells in this place. It just becomes worse. And I think about it. I consider it sometimes because. People often pray for world peace. And just to think about it. I think is that appropriate? Will there ever be world peace apart from Jesus Christ? It's not possible. Likewise this garment. This heavens and the earth they shall decay. They'll be soiled by man. And so the matter of the form of the heavens and the earth is that they'll likewise decay just as garments. They become old. This tells us the mighty truths of Jesus Christ and just how bad we need them. The truth that the earth does groan because of the sinful nature of man and because of the fallen state. But there is one who is able not only to, to fix not only to provide a remedy, but he's able to create anew. The God that we believe in is quoted as even being able to raise up children unto Abraham from stones. Likewise, we see the message of the gospel in verse 11. That the earth and heavens will perish. It's not something to be sad about. It's something to glory about, to boast in Christ about because when these things perish, they shall be made anew just like the spirit of the Christian who trusts in Christ and they shall be made perfect. And it's not by the work of man's hands, but it's at the hand of the Son, the one who remains forever. And so when we look at this, so simple to look over it and, and pass over it and not see the gospel. But the truth is, the gospel message is that everything is soiled, everything is tainted, everything will wax old. Jesus Christ alone, the one who remains, the one who is eternal, the one who is God, was and is and is to come. This Jesus Christ alone is able to save. Not only does he save, but he repairs. He mends. This bruised reed he doesn't cast aside. Nor does he break. But he makes it anew. So in closing. I'd like to remind everyone. That even the earth. And the heavens. Shall not remain. Even in their current form. Without the grace of God in Christ. Without the provision. That we have in Christ. And if we look there. And see the need that the earth. And the heavens have for Christ. And his ability to form. How much more so. Does man who is created. To be an eternal being. Whether it be in eternity. Spent in hell or in heaven. How much does he need Christ. How much do we need Christ. But also. How much shall we look forward to the day when even these corruptible bodies be laid down and brought up again new. And we shall be known. Isn't that wonderful? It seems to the unregenerate mind and maybe to the, we'll call them baby Christian, that this would be an awful thing. But it's a wonderful thing that we look forward to all of the work that Christ has already done on the cross. And that Christ will do as he comes again. This is what the hope that lies within us is about. This is what we see in 1 Peter 3.15. This defense of the gospel that Jesus Christ is able to ransom. Able to save. Able to make new that which is old and decayed. Ask ourselves. Are we trusting in Christ? In every situation. Are we trusting in the message of the gospel? Have we been born again like we see the passage speaking about let's go to the Lord in prayer Father we come to you once again thanking you for your word for your word is true we thank you Lord that in the end of this life shall be the next Lord, we will truly bear the image perfectly in and out of your son, Jesus Christ. God, that we may no longer sin against you, but that we will be, we will be engulfed in praise and in worship. Lord, that we be in awe of an awesome God. Lord, please cause us to die to sin. Lord, please cause us to be broken over our iniquities. Lord, conform us to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, that we may glorify and exalt and that we may boast only in you, O God. For we know that as our hand goes forth, if it's not for your righteousness, we shall corrupt every single thing. Lord, if it not be For your preserving power. We too would decay. We would have nothing to look forward to. Lord it's our prayer this morning. As those who belong to you. That we truly be servants unto Christ. And that. Those who are not. Born again Lord. We pray that you would give them faith. Lord even. The smallest amount of faith that would cause them to trust in Jesus Christ, that they may be found born again from heaven, or desiring not the things of the flesh, but the things of your spirit, that you again may be exalted and praised for your worthy, O God. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray.